When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Don't forget. Well, you're not going to forget. I'll just remind you anyway. Hockey Wednesday. The Oilers have a regular season game for the first time in 10 months. How about that? Oilers Canucks 6 o'clock face-off show on Wednesday. The puck will drop at 8 Jack Michaels, the play-by-play here on 6.30, Chad. Then Thursday, 5.30 face-off show, game at 7. Cam Moon, the play-by-play here on the radio. So Jack is uh, going to Sportsnet to do regional broadcasts on television. When the Oilers are on national TV, Jack will still do the play-by-play on Chad and the Oilers radio network. Cam Moon, who has been the longtime play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels and frequent guest on this show, will do... Radio play-by-play when Jack's doing the regional TV. Cam's going to be on the show tomorrow. I think uh, you love Cam. I certainly do. And uh, he's always fun. And he's a great play-by-play guy. And uh, grew up in Edmonton. Spent a lot of his, uh, well, most of his professional life in Red Deer. So that is uh, awesome, I think. Everything else is, you know, uh, more or less the same. Bob's going to do a little bit of TV stuff during intermissions, uh, Bob's still the color analyst. He's still the Oilers now host. I'm still on the face-off show. Rob's still on the face-off show. Rob and I still do overtime open line. I do want to acknowledge Kevin Quinn, who is a longtime uh, television play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Oilers on Sportsnet. You know, I talked to Kevin a few days ago, and uh, I wished him the best. Things change in this business. Kevin is a great pro and a great guy and was very kind and helpful to me over the years. And uh, Drew Remenda as well, who, quite frankly, guys, I think got a bit of an unfair shake from some of you at times. Uh, I always enjoyed when Drew came on this show, and I think he's a very knowledgeable hockey guy. Didn't always see things the same way some of you do. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but uh, yeah, he's moving on from the broadcast as well. Anyway, 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Kellen, quickly here, buddy. Mm. Uh, I went 4-2. and two. In my uh, NFL predictions, uh oh, you went three and three. Oh, hey, there we go. You got Buffalo, Baltimore, and New Orleans. I got Buffalo, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, and Cleveland. I did not get the mm. score correct. We also picked scores, right? Just for fun. Just for fun. So we'll do more. We'll do more picks on Friday if we remember. Can we? Let's let's do name the animal tomorrow can you not write yeah. that down we want to do name the animal tomorrow I, we haven't I done can, one in a while where i can Kellen find plays a an animal, animal sound. for tomorrow sure kellen plays an animal sound and i try to guess what it is though i'm really good at guessing what it isn't <laughs> but i'll try and guess what it is 14-7 alabama leading ohio state national championship game 11-47 left in uh, the first half jay bowmeister retiring today edmontonian Wraps up his career with the uh, St. Louis Blues. And you might have heard me talking about it earlier. Vander Kane of the Sharks apparently filing for bankruptcy with $26.8 million of debt. 
report that the Philadelphia Eagles have fired head coach Doug Peterson, who led them to the Super Bowl a few years ago, as it's uh, that time of year in the NFL. Okay, Gary Bettman, commissioner of the National Hockey League, Bill Daly, deputy commissioner. They did a Zoom availability today, and of course, one of the big questions with many of you, how could COVID affect derail the season what are they going to do first of all Bettman goes over the process of announcing positive COVID tests the purpose of having the protocols isn't so that we can punish people the purpose of the protocols is to keep everybody as safe and healthy as possible uh, and we we're seeing very good compliance virtually everywhere throughout the league uh, the testing numbers have been very good. Uh, we will announce confirmed positive tests. And by that, I mean that if there's a positive that has to be confirmed or, or there's a contact tracing that we're in the midst of where a player uh, may be sitting out, but he may not have yet tested for COVID, we're probably going to err as we have to this point on the side of being more conservative in making those judgments. But when we have something that is confirmed, we will announce it at the appropriate time. So when we have something that is confirmed, we will announce it at an appropriate time. We have already seen the Dallas Stars season opener delayed because of COVID. And Bettman says, yes, the league is going to have to be flexible with the schedule. We have to be ready to adjust and adapt to anything that may happen. And we're going to have to make judgments in real time. Uh, and what we try to do is we try to have the maximum amount of information available, getting the best advice from the experts and making the best judgment. I think the NFL, what had a reschedule, I don't know, 18 games, the uh, uh, baseball had to reschedule somewhere over 40 games. The NBA's already had to reschedule two games. Uh, we've had to adjust even before we started playing the Dallas schedule. Uh, we've left ourselves not much, but a little flexibility to deal with that. And we're going to have to make some judgments in real time, uh, which I think we've demonstrated an ability to do uh, credibly and with integrity for the game. And so I'm not going to prognosticate as to what we'll do in every situation, because when a situation arises, we're going to have to uh, gather all the resources and information we can and make the best judgment we can. Hopefully, we're not confronted with that possibility, but we're also really realistic enough to know that that may well happen, which is why you know we try to stay on top of things in real time. Well, and of course, the league has already had to alter the schedule because of what happened with the Dallas Stars. They were supposed to open the season the 14th and 15th. That's this week. That's Thursday and Friday against the Florida Panthers. Then they were supposed to have two games at Tampa Bay on the 17th and 19th. They've already had the start of their season delayed until the 19th. So that's three games that are going to have to be rescheduled. The league, uh, no, I guess they could change this as they go along. They didn't leave a buffer at the end of the season saying, okay, the season will end just to pick a date, May 1st, the playoffs will start May 10th, so they can have rescheduled games in there. Maybe they'll have to do that as they go along. So the Stars, though, obviously, you know, six players and two staff members. So, uh, 
a relatively large number of people. Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner, updates the STARS outbreak. In Dallas specifically, we're still trying to uh, get our arms around exactly uh, how the spread occurred. Um, it has uh, turned out to be kind of a classic outbreak, um, and there may be a variety of factors associated with it. Uh, having said that, we think uh, we're at the end. Uh, we hope we're at the end of that outbreak, and everybody is recovering nicely and and doing uh, being cared for and doing what they need to do to get healthy. So um, we're uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll play that through. Uh, I I would say more generally. Um, you know, we learn things every day with respect to the protocols, uh, where they work, um, where they work well, uh, where they can be improved. Um, and we're making, uh, you know, daily uh, modifications, enhancements, uh, all enhancements to the protocol uh, to make sure they're working as well as they can be and doing what they're intended to do. Um, so. Uh, you know, that's what I'd say generally about the Dallas situation and about how, uh, you know, we we deal with the protocols and deal with the clubs vis-a-vis uh, -vis compliance with the protocols. And Daly also commented on when the Dallas Stars could get back to work. It continues to be a part of the medical evaluation uh, with respect to the status of, of the Stars and, and what they're able to do and what they're not able to do. Uh, as you know, their practice facility remains closed. Um, I think the... Uh, Medical people are getting together tonight uh, to assess uh, when uh, that facility might be able to reopen, um, to review the entire situation with respect to um, the infected players and, and uh, their recovery timelines. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we think it's important uh, for the integrity of the schedule that they, uh, uh, if not, uh, are at, at um, full strength. Um, they certainly uh, have the ability to, to ice a team and be competitive. So, um, and without without jeopardizing the health and safety of the players. So, uh, that'll be an important consideration. Um, we'll make appropriate judgments with respect to what that means from a scheduling standpoint. Um, but we're not at that stage currently. All right. So, uh, as Daly and Bettman often do, they use a lot of words, but don't say a ton, but a little bit of information in there and uh, about how the NHL might deal with COVID along the way. How are the Oilers going to deal with Ryan McLeod, the youngster who was the fourth line center today at practice? We'll look into that when we get back to Inside Sports. says was Kara waived to go on the taxi squad or was he not impressive in camp or both well look Stephen uh, Juju Kara has I, I he well I'm not going to say I think I, I would I would be comfortable saying I know because I've seen him play every game he's ever played in the NHL I'm sure some of you have as well He's never really blossomed into what the Edmonton Oilers hope he would be. He was a third-round pick in 2012. In 17-18, he showed some promise. He had 11 goals and 21 points. 
then he had 18 points in 60 games. Last year, he had just 10 points in 64 games. He was also minus 19. Now, granted, the Oilers weren't very good, but he tends to be quite inconsistent. You see little flashes from him, and then you see nothing, or you see mistakes and maybe a lack of engagement. Make no mistake, Stephen and everybody else, I think that the Oilers' uncertainty with Jujar Kara is a big reason why Devin Shore was signed. Because he might wind up being the fourth-line center on Wednesday. I know Ryan McLeod skated there today. I know I've complimented Ryan McLeod. I think he shows a lot of good skills and determination and those types of things that would uh, fit him into the Oilers' roster in a depth role. But it might not be right off the hop on Wednesday. Maybe it will. Or maybe he's around and isn't a regular this year. But... I feel like we've kind of been waiting for Jujar to put it all together, and he hasn't. I mean, a couple of seasons he started really slowly and then, you know, sort of picked it up, but he's kind of never become at least a, a third liner. And is is he effective enough as a fourth liner to even play in that role? Well, right now the Oilers are uh, risking losing him on waivers. Now, if he clears, actually, Kellen, let's reverse the order of those clips. We'll play the waiver one first since we got a question about it. But the players on waivers, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to the taxi squad. Tippett was asked about that today. Well, if he doesn't get claimed, he's still on our team, so we can use him wherever we want to use him. But, the, you know, the waiver today, you just look at it. There's a lot of business involved with the, with the waiver wire today, and uh, we just got to see where things shake out tomorrow. You know, we, we're not looking to lose anybody. We hope we don't lose anybody, but it's a very unique time with the, with the taxi squads and with the salary cap. There's, uh, there's a, lot of, a lot of factors that come into play. So hopefully everybody gets through and, uh, and we can go about our business, but we'll see where that gets to tomorrow. All right. So, I mean, look, he, he could still be, he, he could clear waivers and be put on the active roster. That is possible. It's, it's also possible he gets assigned to the taxi squad. Devin Shore gets assigned gets signed, gets signed to an actual deal, probably a two-way deal. Maybe he's the fourth-line center, and maybe he's in some sort of a platoon situation with Ryan McLeod. And as Jack Michaels mentioned, don't forget Gaetan Haas still could figure into this once uh, he's activated. He has not been on the ice to, for camp. So there's a lot to consider there. there there's, there's a lot to consider. But... We've seen McLeod elevate, and we've seen Jujar here that the Oilers are at least willing to to risk exposing him to waivers. I don't know if he's going to get claimed. Also on waivers, Joachim Nygaard, Patrick Russell, Alan Quine, and goaltender Anton Forsberg, who we talked a little bit about last week. He's likely going to be the taxi squad goaltender. So again, the, the lines today at practice, I'll go over these. I don't think huge surprises to anybody. You had Nugent Hopkins with McDavid, and Cassian. You had Cahoon with Drysaddle and Yamamoto. Turris was between Archibald and Pugliarvi. Ennis McLeod and Chason. And then the fifth line was Neil Shore and Benson. And then we'll see what happens with the wave guys. And as I was saying, that doesn't mean McLeod stays on the fourth line and plays there on Wednesday. And, and, you know, with a younger player like that, you don't have to worry about waivers. You can put them on the taxi squad and then insert them into the lineup. But they're clearly giving them some looks there, which I think is fine. And here's what Dave Tippett said about Ryan McLeod. There was a young player that he's getting closer. You see the, the process that uh, players go through to mature. And his game 
he's got size, he's got the skill, he's starting to understand uh, what he needs to do in his role on the team, and he's getting very close, very close. So we'll see where things go the next couple of days, but he's he's worked his way uh, to this point, and uh, he's had a good camp, he's anxious to play, and uh, if he gets that opportunity, I think we're going to see a good player. Again, I, I've liked him when I've seen him in camp. McDavid commented today that kind of the last training camp, which would have been back in the fall of 2019, was sort of McLeod's coming out party. He was in the minors last year with the Bakersfield Condors. He played 15 games in Switzerland this fall as the Oilers assigned some of their players to go play in Europe. And McLeod said that he, he was glad he got to work on some elements of his game in a game situation as opposed to in drills and practice because it's always different in a game. So I think that he's going to play NHL games this year. He's a younger player. Of course, we're going to have to be uh, patient. There'll be some mistakes around along the way, but at least they're inserting him into an, a depth role and he doesn't have to jump into the top six. Uh, this texture says, I can't believe the Oilers didn't pluck Corey Perry off waivers. Even at his age, he's better than Cassian or Jujar or Chason. Well, uh, well, I don't think the Oilers will claim Corey Perry, but we don't find out the waivers until 10 a.m. tomorrow. So we'll see if the Oilers picked up. I, I, I don't know if the Oilers are going to pick up anybody at this point. I guess we'll see. Uh, I don't think any Oilers would be claimed except for possibly Jujar Kara. So keep it on, uh, on Twitter and then on Oilers now tomorrow at noon to see what happened with the with the uh with the situation there with waivers. Robert says he wants to make some predictions on McDavid and Dreisaitl. He says McDavid will get 36 goals, 83 points. Dreisaitl, 34 goals, 79 points. And he says the Oilers go 33-17-6 for 72 points, first or second in the division. What did I have today? I had McDavid, 30 goals, 80 points. I had Dreisaitl, 25 goals, 73 points. I had the Oilers going 30-20-6. I think they're going to finish second in the division. I think... Obviously, those two guys are going to produce a lot of points. I think the power play is going to be deadly. I do think that five on five, maybe there's going to be some adjustment for Dreisaitl. Maybe. Now, here's why. Cahoon is not as good as Nuge. Maybe Cahoon's going to be really good. He still won't be as good as Nugent Hopkins. So we'll see how that goes. And Yamamoto, who I have a lot of faith in, I've always liked, and was almost a point a game last season. It is his second year, and sometimes players go through a bit of that sophomore slump, and now everybody's seen Kyler Yamamoto, and they've seen him produce a lot of points. What does that come with? More attention gets paid to you. You get more little slashes. You get more little hooks. You get more little holds. You get abused a little bit more. He's going to have to fight through all that. So that's why I think McDavid's going to wind up outscoring Dreisaitl in the end. John Garrett from the Canucks broadcast booth when we get back. ready to rock and roll Oilers and Canucks coming up on Wednesday night Jack Michaels will have the play-by-play on 630 Chet for that one and then Cam Moon will make his 630 Chet Oilers Radio Network play-by-play debut on Thursday in the second game of that two-game set a uh, helmeting infraction against or a targeting infraction I should say hit to the head against Alabama helps Ohio State with a drive Ohio State kicks a field goal 21-17 
Alabama leading Ohio State 521 left in the first half. Now, uh, Birmingham is a city in Alabama, so that's the connection I'm going to make there as uh, <laughs> John's, uh, John's probably laughing as I introduce oh. John Garrett. <laughs> a former Roll Birmingham Bull. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Bear <laughs> Bryant was a coach when I was there. That's how old I am. Bear Bryant was the coach when I was there. And they used to schedule the games like you could never play against any day. And it wasn't just playing. They always played in the afternoon. So you would think, well, you could play at night. But no, you could never play on the day when the Crimson Tide were playing. So you got every Saturday off until after Christmas. So <laughs> No, you had to be on the road. You could never play in oh, Alabama I, against the Crimson Tide. Oh, uh, yeah. I was I was just, I brought up your page because, I, I mean, you and I have talked about some of your adventures in the WHA, and I was like, man, did John ever hit Birmingham? Two full seasons at Birmingham. That was a, oh, that yeah. was a long stint for anybody in that league. Oh, I know. I know. And uh, we changed dramatically while we were there. Uh, when I first went there, we were the Toronto Toros and John Bassett moved from Toronto because uh, he was playing out of Maple Leaf Gardens and Harold Ballard was charging him an incredible amount of rent to play out of Maple Leaf Gardens. So he moved the team to Birmingham and they practically paid him to come down and play. And uh, we were Frank Mahovlich and Paul Henderson and uh, Tommy Simpson and uh, Peter Merritt and we were all, uh, we were going to be skilled. As a matter of fact, Jules Leger was our coach. You know, Jules is a great guy. I, I like him a lot. Uh, but he wrote a book on the team that scores the most goals wins. So our team naturally didn't try and play defense. We tried to play 10 nine games. <laughs> and it didn't really work. So uh, Jules got fired and then Glenn Sonmore came in. And all of a sudden we had, Steve Durbano and uh, Bad News Billado and uh, Frank Beaton and uh, Dave Hansen came down and, and we turned into just uh, we were the flyers of the WHA for a while and the year that Winnipeg won the Avco Cup they lost one playoff game all year and it was to us and uh, we had surprised them and we, I remember we started the playoff game and we were ahead 2-1 at the end of the first period in Winnipeg against this powerhouse Jets team that had Bobby Hall and Nilsson and Hedberg and all those guys. And, and Glenn Sonmer came in and he said, come on, guys, come on, guys, that's not our hockey. And we were ahead 2-1. And so the second period we went out and we were just hammering them and we were in the penalty box all the time and uh, they ended up they beat us eight to two and uh but then when we got them back in in birmingham uh, kent nelson was playing for them at the time they didn't even bring him for the two games in birmingham because they knew we were going to run him out of the rink so but then they beat us in five and they went on to win the afco cup and they the only game they lost in those playoffs was to us I just quickly uh, called up that season. So, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. You guys were sixth and they were first. So you got them in game three, three, two. What was the travel to the rest of the league like out of Birmingham? It, it, was, it wasn't bad. I mean, uh, the league by then had dwindled down to... Uh, there were the LA Sharks were gone, and uh, the Canadian cities naturally you'd go up and make a swing through Canada, but uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, and uh, Birmingham is not that big a city, so uh, the airport was convenient, and 
it wasn't bad, but uh, uh, nothing like the Minnesota Folding Saints where you had to worry about whether they were going to pay for the buses and things like that. <laughs> oh, come on. What, what kind anyway, of fan support? Somewhere along the line. What kind of fan support did you get in Birmingham? Oh, it was great. It was great. Um, uh, very niche, uh, you know, in 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 today's uh, politically correct society, uh, and it was a sad commentary on the social part of uh, being playing in the South. But uh, the people appreciated the fact that uh, you know the hockey fans appreciated the fact that uh, it was a sport that w- had fighting that was right. allowed. You were allowed to do that. So it was like wrestling, but uh, a very ethnic game. And you can take that meaning <laughs> as obvious as it was. It was, uh, you know, strictly at that time, uh, who were the people of color who were playing? There was, very few. Tony McKegney, I remember, uh, got, was going to get drafted by the Birmingham Bulls, and uh, the salespeople decided that no, you couldn't do that because. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. Which is uh, a sad, a sad comment. That's very uh, sad, yeah. Uh, yeah. And especially, like, I, I grew up in Ontario and then played in Minnesota, and uh, at that time, Minnesota was very open-minded about it and uh, but then you moved to Birmingham and it was the city was very segregated that all the white population lived uh, and it was called over the mountain and uh, I remember my wife and I looking for a house and uh, the people there oh you got to live over the mountain I said well what do you mean and they, they explained well that's where the white people live Jeez. Wow. That's, yeah, that'd be a different world for sure. John Garrett joining us today at Inside Sports. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, John Garrett, the player, what would you be thinking, feeling, doing two nights before the start of the season, like tonight? Uh, I'd, be, I'd be looking forward to it as the part of my career where I was the assume number one starter and uh, you knew you were going to get that opening night game and and you had a chance to set the tone and uh, I know uh, in Hartford in particular was uh, I was the number one goalie and uh, everybody thought that the WHA teams were dog doo-doo and that you'd never make the playoffs and uh, we had something to prove and uh, I, I that season in particular, you head into the season with, okay, we're going to show them. And I think that's now, especially with the North Division, uh, there's so many teams that uh, have a chance. You you look at the seven teams and who's going to pick a winner? You know, people in Toronto naturally are going to say the Leafs. But people in Vancouver are saying, hey, we've got the rookie of the year one year, the runner-up for the rookie of the year the next year. And uh, a nominee, the top three for the rookie of the year the year before. So you've got Pedersen, Besser, and, and Quinn Hughes, and uh, it's uh, people in Vancouver think they've got a shot. People in Calgary, well, we've made the moves we've made. We've got a goalie finally, and so they think they've got a shot. Winnipeg, uh, get Paul Stastny back. Well, we got some depth now. We've got a shot. The only team that uh, most people have written off, and you don't hear a whole lot of the Ottawa Senators saying that they think they can win it, but uh, the Montreal, you look at Montreal, they've 
got Carey Price, Shea Weber, uh, their kids, Lekkonen and Suzuki, and uh, they think they've got a shot. So uh, two days before it starts, and especially in a 56-game season, yeah. you're, it's, uh, we used to divide it up into 10-game segments and, okay, you know, we've got to be over 500 in this 10 games and you, depending on the home games and if it was you had a lot of home games in the 10 game segment then you'd say okay we've got to be seven and three and uh, now with the 56 games and uh, with no fans in the building it's okay every game is a possibility you go in and think okay uh, what do you do divide it up into seven game segments or five game segments and you say well okay we we think we can be four out of five yeah, I, I love how you put that about the Canadian division. And I had Gord Wilson on the show last week from the Senators booth, and he said, "Look, I, I think the Senators are going to finish seventh, but I don't think they're like I don't think they're going to be at twelve and forty-eight or twelve, whatever would be doormat. Like I think they'll they'll challenge some teams. What what do you think is the Canucks? Because oh, I'll put it this way, John, I'm talking about the Oilers all the time. I think we know the the high end guys, the big three we call them. We put Nugent with Drysdale McDavid. They've added some I think nice depth additions." I think one of the big question marks for the Oilers is the goaltending, uh, not just regular season goaltending, but then if they get into the playoffs, because it was a letdown against Chicago. What's the, the Canucks biggest? I mean, maybe theirs is goaltending too. What's the Canucks biggest question mark? Well, I, I think it is goaltending, but uh, you watch the way Thatcher Demko played in the bubble and he he was really good and uh, i think people have written off braden holby a little prematurely uh, okay you look at his goals against and his save percentage and they were not very good last season but he still he was 11 games over 500 and he played 48 games last year he played as many games i think he played more games than jacob markstrom did last year and it wasn't until the second half that Samsonov came and kind of took over. But then in the in the uh, bubble in Toronto, it was Holby playing. So uh, I I think, and especially as I was talking about the 56-game schedule and if there's any COVID delays and then all of a sudden it gets compressed a little more, uh, I think that you're going to see it's it's going to be more of a 33-23 split rather than what we've seen in the 82-game season where uh, the number one goalie gets to play three out of four. Uh, I think now, and I think almost every team will do that because you've got three games in four nights. You play the same team three times in a row. You don't want to use the same goalie three times in a row against the same team. I wouldn't anyway if I was coaching. But uh i i really think that it's you're gonna have to have both goalies going and that's if i'm looking at the oilers from the outside and obviously i am i i'm thinking that goaltending is the big question mark for them what can you tell me about nils hoaglander and i i think i'm saying that correctly it's not uh, yes, it's it not is. hoaglander we're going right? with uh, shorty and i have talked it over and and with brendan bachelor who you know the radio guy we we're, we talked hoaglander instead of hoaglander so we're going with nils hoaglander uh he's got the advantage of he's already played three months uh, competitive in a swedish league so he comes into camp, but everybody has seen his uh, skilled goals on YouTube with the uh, lacrosse style. He, he's little, but he, he's strong, and uh, he's got that low center of gravity, and uh, he's, he 
plays with a little edge. He, he goes to the front of the net for a little guy. Uh, he's not afraid to behind the net play it off the back of the net to himself and things like that. He, he is he reads the plays really well. And if uh, right now it, it looks like he's going to play with uh, Horvat and Pearson, so that's, that's not bad. Uh, you're going to look at the the other team's good lines and good defense pairings, but you've got two guys you're playing with who uh, also read the plays really well and are veteran guys and. Uh, so if you listen to them and, and go where you're supposed to go, and he's got the ability to put up points. I think that, and you, you mentioned what the Canucks weaknesses would be. Uh, I think that uh, they've had trouble finding scoring from their bottom six. And uh, it could be a problem again, but uh, if Hoaglander works out, then you've got Jake Vertanen, who had 18 or 19 goals last year, and Adam Goddard, who you would expect to score some more. and uh, You would hope you'd get more production out of your bottom six guys. Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating season because, as, as you reference, all the Canadian teams have a couple, you know, two or three really pronounced strengths and, and one or two weaknesses that, that could be crippling depending on how the season goes. I want to ask one more to you, John, and maybe you can help me out here. Uh, I've never played goal. I work with Rob Brown, who liked scoring on you guys, but uh, <laughs> usually he, there was a guy that could score. Holy cow! Yeah, I mean, he and he knew his role. I mean, play with Mario, and Mario will get me the puck. I'll have some time, and Zingo. I mean, he he knew how to score. Well, he knows how to beat the goalies, but uh, you know, he, he doesn't break them down as technically as you will. What when you see? Whether it's Koskinen or somebody else who's six 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 seven, and when we hear it from fans after games, if a puck goes in over his shoulder, like should that virtually never happen if you're a tall goalie, or is that oversimplifying it? Uh, that's oversimplifying it for sure. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, uh, goaltending, you talk about happy feet and uh, chasing the game, and uh, you watch. Uh, following the puck and staying square and and I think that uh, sometimes the goalies get in where uh, you want to do too much and I think that's uh, Ian Clark worked very well with Jacob Markstrom and getting his game down to uh, where and he's gigantic too you block the puck you, you make sure the puck comes to you and your shoulders are up and you're square and uh, you're in position and you're not scrambling and your feet are steady. And uh, I think that uh, the Edmonton goaltending and, and Mike Smith's been around forever, but a, and I've watched him for so long and he, he's a very, very good goalie and he helps the defense so much. He handles the puck so well, but he does get overactive and it, your personality, you have to, uh, reel it in and uh, you look at Braden Holby and how his career was until uh, he got a, a really good goal coach goalie coach and uh, Barry Trotz comes in and Mitch Korn takes over the goaltending instruction and he got to play a much calmer game and I think that that's uh, when you're a bigger goaltender it, it serves you well uh, to be more in control and a lot of it depends on your defense there's no doubt about that but uh, if the other team's making cross-ice passes well it's hard to get set and square and get your shoulders up and do all those technical things if uh, they're throwing those five feet cross-ice crease passes but if your defense is, is decent uh, the calmer the better.
Yeah. Well, if your defense is decent too, right? That's what we'll see with some of these teams in Canada too. I don't know. The Canucks, uh, I mean, they've added some depth. They're like, like Hamannick's now on the ice. He's good to go. Yeah, he was uh, he was on the ice today, and uh, I think a lot of it has, and Travis Green, like most coaches, like that left-right uh, right-hand shot, and Travis Hamannick is a right-hand shot, and they, they seem to have too many left-hand shots, and uh, so now Hamnick fits in, and uh, it'll be, you have to wait and see. <laughs> Today was his first practice, so it, it, okay. and with games coming up in two days, uh, I think it's going to take him a couple of weeks to catch up, but uh, uh, he's going to fit in, and uh, a veteran guy and a right-hand shot. All right. John, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I always appreciate your willingness to tell stories, first of all, and love your insight <laughs> on the Canucks. Uh, enjoy the rest of the National Championship game. Uh, yes, for all time. I, I guess how much I've watched. Not one second of it. So. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I didn't spoil the score in case you're taping it or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 thanks. Uh, okay, we'll talk to you later. That is John Garrett checking in tonight. Uh, it's the 35-17 Alabama late in the first half. 7.51 Inside Sports on Chet. It certainly is mysterious voice, man. All right, so here are your Oilers notes today. Oscar Kleffbaum did a Zoom availability from Sweden and went over his shoulder injury, still considering surgery and still hoping to play in the NHL and emphasize that he's uh, been dealing with a lot of pain in his life away from the rink, though it has improved since the Oilers' season ended with the loss to Chicago back in August. Such a weird timetable. Starting the season in January, last playoff game for the Oilers was in August. You can get more on Clefbaum by going to globalnews.ca, 630ched.com. Ryan McLeod progressing in his NHL career. Maybe he makes his NHL debut this week, maybe even Wednesday. More on him on our website as well. And in terms of the play-by-play story, you've probably been seeing a lot about it today on social media or fellow Oiler fans chatting about it. Jack Michaels will be calling regional television games on Sportsnet with Louis DeBrusque doing color. When Jack is in the TV booth, Cam Moon from the Red Deer Rebels Great guy, great friend of mine. He will call the games on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network. Cam will be on the show tomorrow night when uh, the Oilers are on national television. Jack will hop back into the radio booth and you'll still hear him for some games on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network. So that is the situation there. Jack was on the show a little bit earlier as we had our usual uh, tete-a-tete. Jack likes sparring with me. I think 35, 17 Alabama leading Ohio state 49 seconds left in the first half of the college football championship game. Jay Bomeister retiring today, Edmonton native. He'll uh, wrap it up with the St. Louis blues had that scary uh, heart condition during the last regular season. Okay. Big thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of inside sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer. The Oilers will practice at noon tomorrow. Don't forget to tune into Oilers now with Bob Stoffer from noon to two. I will have inside sports, of course, from six to eight. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great night. 
6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.